Hello and welcome to Soaring to New Heights, the AFLW podcast series looking at the inaugural season of the Hawthorne AFLW team. On this week's episode, Liam and myself are going to be looking at the AFLW future. Here's to another exciting edition of Soaring to New Heights. Hello and welcome to Soaring to New Heights, the AFLW podcast series looking at the Hawthorne AFLW team in their inaugural season. My name is Tim and we're joined by our regular co-host Liam. Liam, how are you going this evening? I'm well, Tim. How are you? Going very well, thank you. It seems like it's been a while since our last podcast. Probably because it has and we've had a lot going on in our, our personal lives, both of us since then, which is well, well, well beyond the scope of this show. But... I mean, it is the off-season. There's no Hawthorne content to talk, well, no Hawthorne action to talk about. But um, we're not going to stop the content, so let's get going. That's exactly right. So the nature of this episode now, it's fair to say, Liam, this is an episode that you've been pushing for since about halfway through the season when we started talking about the actual AFLW season itself. So while it is the off-season, it's still not time for us to finish talking about the AFLW season itself. So. Firstly, congratulations to Melbourne uh, for winning the AFLW Premiership, especially the pioneers like Daisy Pearce and Karen Paxman in their close tussle with the Brisbane Lions last Sunday. That was, yeah, congr- I echo those congratulations. Those those two in particular have done an incredible amount of work for the women's game and not just since the AFLW commenced, but that was actually a really, really good game of football, really enjoyable to watch. But it also highlighted some issues that we'll talk about later in the show, in terms of especially in the build-up. And it'll be a few years probably, but I can't wait for the day that you and I are at a game, at that game, involving Hawthorne. Yeah, it would be wonderful to be there to see Hawthorne in a, a premiership final, hopefully taking out the flag, which would be wonderful. I mean, we were there for Hawthorne's inaugural victory this year, so a very historic moment, you would say, Liam. And, you know, hopefully down the track, we will be there to see Hawthorne take out an AFLW premiership. Now, it's fair to say that over the past six seasons, the AFLW has grown incredibly rapidly. So six years, we've had seven seasons of the AFLW. And currently, there's there's no more expansion on the table in the short term. So it's pivotal that we start to look at the competition and where the competition will be able to go in the future. So... Let's start talking. Good idea. So, Liam, where are we at now? Well, Tim, we're recording this at 9pm on December 2nd, 2022. So, just if anything changes imminently, which doesn't look like, mind you, just thought we'd put the time recording there. Um, Right now, there's no collective bargaining agreement for the AFLW. There's none for the men's either, for that for that matter, I should clarify. Um, Season 7, so the season we just had, that had an emergency collective bargaining agreement, which was essentially an extension of the old one. And we'll talk about that a bit later on. I've got some, I've actually read through that collective bargaining agreement, which is just you know, a stock standard labor negotiation, essentially. And it was basically an extension with a pay rise, it was basically the only change to the CBA, to the best of my understanding. A significant and richly deserved pay rise. But that was pretty much the only change. This collective bargaining agreement has now expired. 
Uh, this relates to issues like contract structures, list sizes, which we'll discuss later on. Uh, at the moment, there's also no clear start date for the AFLW, which is partly understandable given the shift. We're, for the purpose of this discussion, going to assume it's probably going to be similar to Season 7. And beyond that, there will be next year. We have no indication on the dates for the sign and trade period. No indication on dates for the draft. Speaking of which, Liam, really interesting because in our discussions that we've had so far, the one that comes to mind is when we were talking to Tamara Smith. We're talking about what the season would actually look like in an ideal world. And Tamara was saying, well, the season should look similar to what the men's season looks like. So as you said, at the moment, we're assuming that it'll be similar to season seven. So played sort of at the back end of the men's competition and then going through into that springtime. So it's really interesting to note that at this present time, there's still no actual specific date in terms of any anything. Sign-on, trade-on periods, the draft, pre-season training. A CBA. They're going to need that. That CBA is going to have to be one of the first things they get done because otherwise... Well, fundamentally, that's the agreement under which all these players are ultimately employed. So that's you know, without you know, without that document, they, there's no agreement between you know, essentially there's no agreement for them to work, which creates a slightly obvious issue. And just just one more thing that we'll mention before we get on to discussing more specific matters, we've discussed it on the show before. We'll discuss it again. We'll bring it up a lot tonight because it's relevant to all of our discussions. There's a new television deal for the AFL, the organization, so the men's and women's competition that will commence in 2025. The way I read the situation, I'm not the only one who who reads it this way. That looks like to being a major pivot point in terms of change because there's going to be a significant revenue revenue increase. And we do know that the biggest source of revenue for the AFL and for clubs by extension is broadcast. So just to give you an idea, typically most most clubs have external external ventures, but there's the three main sources of revenue for clubs are match day, broadcast, commercial. So commercial is things like sponsorships, etc. Match day is ticket sales, and broadcast. I'm not going to insult your intelligence by explaining what that is. So, but broadcast tends to be the biggest, especially in modern sport. So with that TV deal coming in, we I think that's going to, and that TV deal does have flexibility for elongations and expansions as well but yeah that that to me is looks like a big pivot point in 2025 which is still a long way down the track when we're thinking about it so if we think that each season now will have one or each year sorry we'll have one season of aflw we're still three years away before we actually see that taking place which means if that's the case why can't they announce the status quo why can't they say here's when the season will start is when the sign. It's it's just an interesting point. Yeah, I can understand it to a degree, given there was a lot of change this season. Like this, this season was this season posed unique challenges, most of which self inflicted. I point out, but this season posed unique and understandable challenges. I wouldn't mind seeing a bit more effort to avoid them a bit earlier. That would require. Let's leave it at that. That would require a bit of uh, foresight, not something that the AFL are very good at. If we're being honest here, and I think hey, hang, hang about... on a sec, they can organise a magic round in quick, quick, fast, and in a hurry. 
Oh, oh, wait, that's for the men. That's right. Well, Magic Round can be organized. I'm pretty sure Springfield was just plucked out uh, from a Simpsons episode. And then we got lucky that there actually happened to be a ground complete at the time that we were able to talk about. But let's go on to the first matter we want to talk about, Liam, and it's about the CBA. So in terms of the, the CBA, the next one, and obviously the one that will come after that, because as you said before, 2025 is when we are talking about the new television contract deal. It's going to be incredibly crucial for the competition's future because we're hoping that not only will the players be able to be paid more generously, but we're also hoping that the players will be able to become, I guess, viewed as professional athletes. If you think about the way that the current structure works, we know that players like Caitlin Ashmore, Tilly Lucas-Rod, for example, they're working at schools three, four, five days a week in a classroom, then expected to go to training afterwards. Not something that we would expect to happen for the professional athletes who play in the AFL. Yeah, well, I mean, you're a school teacher. You know exactly how much work they're doing. Let's not talk about that. Yeah, let, let, we talked about that off mic. Um, Especially at report time, Liam. We don't talk to teachers about their workload during report time. Okay, but yeah, well, yeah, we, we've, we will talk about the CBA a lot because this is like the section we're devoting to the CBA. You know, Lou Stevenson on the show has mentioned that 2026 potentially for full-time professionalism, whether that's going to happen or not obviously we can't say we're not involved in cba negotiations which again cba negotiations are pretty run-of-the-mill labor negotiations between in this case the players union and the afl who is fundamentally their employer so that's i I just point that out but well will they become full-time professional probably not in the next cba based on what Lou said with 2026 and all that. That's actually also why I'm really curious to see how long the next CBA is. If it's a, is it a long CBA? Is it a short CBA? If it's a short CBA, that to me, and especially if it's one that marries up with the new television deal, that to me is a big indicator of changes coming. If it's a longer CBA, and I will point out the latest CBA, which I have actually read, not fully, but I have read through it a bit, did actually contain elongation clauses for the season in there. So it literally had, you know, this season will have this many games and these two will have this many games. So there was actually, there were clauses in that CBA for the season to elongate as it as it went through with players being remunerated more generously as that went through as well. So that that's one that I'm going to be really interested to see is how long is a new CBA going to last? Because that, to me, will say a lot about the short and short to medium term future of this competition, in terms of season length, in terms of professionalism, in terms of conditions, in terms of player pay, and also there's one that I'm I'll be curious to see whether it's a joint CBA as well, like with the men's, because we know the men's players as of the last CBA, which is also now expired, the salary cap is now partly tied to league revenue. So I'll be I'll be interested to see how that goes as well. So I'll flip back to you for a bit more discussion on this. Yeah, so it's really interesting, especially as you were saying in terms of if it will be a joint one with the men's, because if we're talking about that professionalism coming in for the AFLW in terms of pay, in terms of standards, in terms of that recognition as well, and for that revenue that comes in through the uh, through the league, I think definitely that's something that we would love to see. We'd love to see that joint CBA with the men's. So then that way, 
it allows for that professionalism to happen. As we, as you mentioned before, Lou was speaking about 2026 being on the cards at the current stage as to when they're hoping that the players will be able to become full-time professionals. And we know from speaking to Tilly Lucas Rod, she was saying when she first started, it was 12 hours at the club per week. And obviously that's increased as well. So hopefully when the new CBA comes out, we'll start to see some shifts in terms of the amount of time allocation for players being at the club, also in terms of payments. And what you were saying too, and this comes into the list sizes, and we'll talk about this a bit later on, but in terms of list sizes and the amount of money that the clubs have in terms of being able to pay contracts, 70% of the list plays every week. So if you think about injuries that are happening, you've got nine players that you have as as reserves, emergencies, so to speak. If you have injuries like Fremantle had, injuries to like Fremantle were nearly calling up your daughters at certain points this season, Tim. They were that they were that decimated. I don't know if my kids would have been able to take the four hour uh, the five hour flight over to Perth. They might have tried it, but that was that would have almost been the only thing stopping them, given how few players Fremantle had. They were calling on top ups. They seemed like they were plucking players from here, there, and everywhere just to field twenty one bodies. Well, think about our last game, the last game for Hawthorne this season, because Lou came back from injury for the very last game to fly over, but we had injuries. Big Mac was out with a broken hand, and then we had. Tomorrow's ACL. Tomorrow looks ACL. Yeah, tomorrow looks ACL. And then we, we also had Jazz Fleming, exam. Righty Hipwell, exam. Emily Everest, exam. Charlotte Baskerin had an exam. Luckily for us, the timetable was slightly different. Otherwise, we would have had 20 players available. There wouldn't have been any anyone left. Yeah, we, we were pretty much flat. And again, that's another issue with the AFLW just for next season. How are you going to, you know, will you, will there be a shift in draft day just so we don't have current year 12s playing? And don't get me wrong. We are big fans of all those those players we've just listed off here. However, should, is it really fair on them to compound the stress of year 12 with suddenly picking up a whole new time commitment? Is that, I, I personally... I think that's quite unfair on them as people, as play, and as players, and as students. And I again understood it for this year. You had a lot to do, rush the season, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That there needs to be a clearer plan for draft ages, given the starting point of the season. It's not like the men's comp where the, the it'll roll over neatly through the calendar year. At least with the current start point of the season, it doesn't. So how? They need there needs to be a clear memory for the draft age, and that is again an issue going that's going to relate to the next collective bargaining agreement. What's the draft age going to be? How are you going to manage that? And at the end of the day, again, this new collective bargaining agreement, I don't hear it talked about much. Believe me, it's a big deal. It also, big relates, deal. It also relates to you know, season length, Professionalism, etc. Et Every single thing we talk about, all the gripes we've had with the competition, all the gripes we've had with the AFL, fundamentally, they're pretty much all going to come back to the collective bargaining agreement in some way, shape, or form. That document is one of the most important things in the history of this competition. So we wait with bated breath. Hopefully, 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 in the short term, we will get an announcement as to when we'll hear about CBA being announced, and then from there, hopefully it's that domino effect 
where we start seeing things like when will we have the preseason? When will the draft be? When will we have the sign-on period? When will none, the none of that can happen without a CBA. And speaking of the CBA, actually, I, just want, I just want to bring up one more thing. And I've I've mentioned this in passing on the pod, but this is, and this is actually something that really gets on me a bit, and why I discuss things in a way in a way that I do. If you have a look at clause ten point one. Of this of the current AFLW CBA, which I have in front of me, so you don't need to go look it up. It, you'll see clause ten point one B and C specifically, and D as well. They outline a tiered structure for player contracts. See so these, you basically have to use two tier ones, six tier twos, six tier threes, and sixteen tier fours. You can use three tier ones, but your salary cap is tied to that 26616 structure. You cannot tell me that is a contract structure that promotes upward mobility for clubs at the bottom of the table. Because we already have, you know, I'll give use Hawthorne as an example. We already would have two players on tier one contracts and a salary cap tied up in the way it is. It's much more difficult to attract players to come from one club to another, even though the culture at Hawthorne is incredible, as it, or at least it appears to be, when you're probably going to be, given the age of the squad, around where we are for the next couple of years, and there's some other factors that further point to that, which we'll talk about a bit later. But how can you attract players when you have a contract structure that is fundamentally opposed to upward mobility of clubs outside of natural progression? Like that, you can't tell me that contract structure is designed to do anything other than preserve a status quo. I think it'd be fair to say that structure is flawed because you're not allowing you're not allowing that growth. Think about the men's competition. You get your free agents who are able to move wherever they want. It, you literally have that luxury or that ability, and that's not something that the AFLW has been afforded so far. Yeah. Again, hard salary cap, no problem with it. Rest- fundamentally categorizing players. That's an issue because that means fundamentally a player is capped with how much they can earn for their work. And and for a club from a recruiting point of view, you can't you know, you can't say, well, we can offer you better financial terms, which quite frankly, is and especially in the men's conference, their full time job. That is a factor that would go into it. And also, you know, I will never I'm personally someone who will never berate a player for moving for money because it's your career. It's their job. Again, I reiterate to people when they when they do say this, it's their job. It's a very good point you make, Liam. And that's something that I think we need to get used to, especially hopefully when the CBA starts to improve, allowing players that luxury to be able to move where we see that structure changing instead of having just two tiered one players, being able to have the ability to attract more and more players. Um, we'll get to that a bit later on when we start talking. Yeah, and look, maybe maybe it's not this CBA, maybe it's the next one. But there needs to be a way for clubs to be able to attract players. Again, you have your salary cap. Isn't that the whole point of good list management? You know, you're able to use the salary cap and you know get players to play for that bit list or get players to outperform their performance. And look, players should be paid what they're worth, obviously. But that's good list management. Here, fundamentally, players just slot into a into a position, and unless someless someone's retiring or, or decides to leave the club, 
play. There's no real upward mobility there. You know, you with you're only allowed two, maybe three tier one players. What are you going to do? Go tap one of your tier one players on the shoulder, saying, "Hey, you're going to move to a tier two contract." No, thank you. Can't imagine too many players. You know, let's say you go recruit a tier one player, and you go tell that your tier one player, like, mm, "I'll go find another tier one offer." Yeah, it's very interesting the way that it's all set up. But as you said, hopefully in the next CBA, if not the next one, then the one after, we start to see that change, which would be yeah, good. Really want to see the length of that CBA because that's, <laughs> to, that to me, the length of this CBA is going to be telling. But again, we understand a lot of things to help get the competition off the off its feet or and et cetera, get it moving. But, but now is the time for, quite frankly, a bit of respect. And it's starting to come. But again, this this CBA is going to be really important, and I would actually argue will define the next decade of the, this competition's future. One document. I couldn't disagree with you there, Liam. If I tried. So now moving on from the CBA, let's move to well the football matters. So the first one we will look at is the season league. Now, in our joint podcast that we had with the gentleman from Talking Hawks with Daz. Now, we spoke to Tilly Lucas-Rod and then also Lou Stevenson. And then when you and I spoke to Tamara Smith in the round uh, round 10 recap, it was, all three of them were pushing that you need to play each team at least once. So if you think about the short, truncated nature of this season, it really, really flew in the face of integrity because you had each team playing 10 games Sounds wonderful, but if you've got an 18-team competition, there's seven other teams that you didn't get to play. So in terms of the actual integrity, we had teams who had an easier run, so to speak. You had teams who were playing some really, really difficult games week in and week out. So that season length is really important because for the integrity of the competition, you want everyone to be able to play each other at least once. Yeah, like... Yeah, is the ladder truly reflective of team quality? And, you know, Jim Bastiani and Sarah Black, they wrote a really, really good article running with some really interesting prospective numbers. Uh, I've just got the date of it here. They ran it in on October 26, it was released. And it was a really good article that went through and ranked clubs' draw difficulty based on a whole range of fixture in terms of a whole range of indicators in terms of, you know, players that retained, players that were lost, performances last season, etc. And I've also run some numbers. I've run retrospective numbers. So, and by the time you're listening to this, I'll, I will have put this spreadsheet in some way, shape or form up on our socials. But, and I sent it to you, Tim. I do actually need to explain this spreadsheet a bit. So what I've done is I've gone through every team I've taken their aggregate point differential for the season. As simple as points for minus points against. So that took me 10 minutes. That took me two minutes. That was just get the calculator out, run 18 calculations. That was easy. What I then did is I went through every team's matches for the season. And how I calculated it was I added, I put the points differential of their opponents together each week, removing the impact of the relevant game. So for example, in round one, Adelaide played Brisbane, I think. Let me just get the let me just get the fixture up because there were two teams with these really high points differentials. And I need to check the margin. Okay, actually I'll give you round five as an, as an example. Hawthorne played Sydney. 
whose aggregate points difference was negative 370 for the season. Hawthorne beat Sydney by four points. So Sydney's points difference took a four-point hit in the Hawthorne game. Therefore, for the purpose of Hawthorne's draw rating, playing Sydney was a minus 366 for opponent quality. And I, I did that to remove outlier games like the St Kilda game against Hawthorne here, try and limit their impact. And you know, try and remove the the ability of one really poor game or one fluky good game to impact a team's draw rating. So so what I came out with the aggregate for Adelaide based on this formula, their opponents, nine hundred and thirteen was their net points points for using that calculation. They ranked as having the hardest draw in the AFLW. The team with the easiest draw in the AFLW is Hawthorne, based on my maths. Negative 744 aggregate points differential opponents. Someone say competitive integrity with that with that kind of wild fluctuation between quality of opponents throughout the season. And yes, Hawthorne expansion team. If we go to the non-expansion team, GWS negative 340. That's the easiest draw for a non-expansion side. Again, that kind of fluctuation is obscene. There's going to be a little. There's going to be a degree of fluctuation because I've removed certain results, or I've removed the impact of certain results, I should say, at certain occasions. But you know, that's why there's a push to elongate the season. One, there's more footy to watch, and. Yeah, more for to talk about, more to, more to write about, more to podcast about. You and I aren't going to whinge about that. We we literally started this show because we like watching and talking about Hawthorne women's football. But yeah, like with uh, you're playing barely half the teams in the competition. How can you get a fair read on who's who? And with finals, especially, that's a big difference. Yeah, it's a massive difference, especially as you said when you think about coming into the final season. Looking at, you know, if you haven't played everyone once, how do you get a fair read in terms of who actually makes the finals? And then if you look at the draw, as you said, you know, that fluctuation, I think, between Hawthorne and GWS, so between the expansion team and then the first of the non-expansion teams, I think it was about a 400-point difference, roughly. Yeah, 400, 404. 404. Which and is then a- all the way up to Adelaide at nine, plus 913. That's that's over 12. That's getting... That's over getting towards 1250 difference. Yeah. So when you look at it that way, it's a huge, huge difference to go from that. Now, obviously, the obvious next step, Liam, would be having the AFLW season allow each team to play once. Yep. But it looks like next season's probably unlikely to change. If you look at the membership prices, I know for myself for next year, an adult membership, so the base package, uh, for the Hawthorne AFLW team is, I think, $60. And I think the kids' membership has stayed at $25 a piece. Yes. I think it was year. around, a, it was a 10, I think mine was a 10% increase from memory. Yeah, so I think mine's gone up $10 for next year. So uh, in terms of that, but if you look at that, you would say based on that, there's probably not going to be much of a change in terms of that season length because if there was, obviously there's more home games that the team would be playing. And if you're charging $10 an entry, you're not going to be giving that away for free at such yeah, a discounted yeah, rate. The, the maths doesn't add up. And again, we've said it, I've said this multiple times on social media and on the show. 
I think meaningful elongation is going to be tied to the new television deal. But, but yeah, just the, so there's, there's enough indications for me to say next season will be pretty similar in length, I would say. And again, there's no, the new TV deal is still two years away. And again, if the AFL wanted to come out and say the next two years will be like this, and then this is what's going to happen in two years' time, fine. No problem. Set a clear direction and we'll say, cool. We would, would we like it sooner? Yes. Do we understand we don't live in an ideal world? Also, yes. Especially because of things that we're about to come to. There are certain things that need to be navigated and some of them you can only navigate with time. However, it, we've just outlined the reasons why the AFL will need to move to a longer season at some point in the imminent future for the AFLW. Again, collective bargaining agreements can and have contained ceiling, season elongation clauses. Literally, the last one has. And by the way, you can find the last one online really easily. You just Google it. It'll come straight up. It's a nice PDF for you to read. Those of you with an interest in you know, the legal and nerdy side of sports, have at it. I certainly am. But, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. And again, we said we're moving on from the CBA, but here we are. <laughs> come back to it. Forward thinking means, Liam, we have to start thinking about grounds. So if we're talking about the grounds that we've been using. We know Box Hill City Oval is about to go under redevelopment, which is fantastic. And we got some inside information from Ed Sill when he was on our podcast recently talking about the change that will be happening at, at Box Hill City Oval, when that will be taking place. So at this stage, it looks like it will be happening at the end of the 2023 season which is wonderful it means that the girls will still be able to play there but whenever that and, is whenever that is but we do know that there are some grounds that have been used that fair to say would be substandard so if we think about etu stadium for example where hawthorne were meant to play essendon blockbuster first game for both teams in the aflw competition that ground had been used for the vflw grand final had a crowd that day of about six thousand. Couldn't cope. Couldn't cope. Cues everywhere. for So we're talking cues for amenities, cues for food, cues for park. Like everything was just absolutely crowded in terms of the, the way that the ground was able to function. Then we can go to the opposite. So if you think about Newtown, Henson Park, for example, Henson Park, Henson Park has a massive capacity. So Henson Park can, pit, can fit. 10, 15, 20,000 people in it. So we're not talking about the size of the ground or the capacity or that, but think about the actual conditions for the players. Five games played there this season. After the fourth game, I believe it was, when Hawthorne played against GWS for the season, I think it was the fourth game they had there. Yeah, Lauren, Lauren Wood put out an article that revealed some um pretty damning things about that venue, which... I mean, we've, we've talked about enough on this show and no, Henson, the drive-bys aren't stopping. But even in terms of that, if you think about the foresight the AFL needs to think of, when we spoke to Tilly Lucas-Rod and when we spoke to Smithy on the podcast as well, both of them said when they played at Etihad Stadium, the quality of the game, the way the ball was able to ping around, you have a stadium that the AFL actually owned. Yep, literally owned the stadium. So why not use it? And I understand there will be people and detractors who will say, what's the use of watching a game if there's 10,000 people in a 50,000-seat stadium? 
Well, I was there, Liam, that day when Hawthorne played GWS at a Hawthorne away game at the MCG with a capacity, well, capacity of 110,000. And I think there was 8,000 of us hearty souls there when Tim O'Brien actually held on to a mark. Putting a ginger, that's a new one. Um, but yeah, and again, I, until the demand increases, and the demand will increase, mind you, I love the suburban grounds, provided they have adequate amenities. And yes, Henson Park, we are talking to you. But equally, round one at Marvel was one of the most incredible experiences in my 23 years as a Hawthorne supporter. And yes, it was the, there was the occasional, et cetera, I get it. But, you know, why would the AFL not? And the Big Bash contracts don't start till late enough in the season. I think I'd have to double check exactly when the Big Bash starts because, quite frankly, I don't care about it. But why not? You know, how good would that be? Saying, okay, once a week, game of the round, you get Marvel Stadium. Do a double header. Yep, it's possible. Do yeah. a double header. Play two games there. You say to the crowd, it's still $10 entry fee. But you get two games for the price of one. So think about it. You get a, a crowd of 20, 25, 30,000. You play it on a Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, some sometime like that, where it's family friendly. Yeah. I yeah. say that because as nice as nighttime games are, and we know that Hawthorne had a few of those at Kinetic Stadium or Skybus Stadium, as it was known formerly before that. Depending, literally depending on what date you went. Yeah. But if you are thinking about making it this family friendly event, those afternoon games are wonderful because you can get out to the game. You can be home in time for dinner and you want to go to the game. Kids are the best way to get in. My yeah. two daughters absolutely loved going to those suburban grounds, which was wonderful. And they loved the time slots that suited them best. So those afternoon games or, you know, a twilight game was wonderful because you could still get home and something that definitely uh, in terms of fixtures and, and things like that, the AFL needs to look at. Yeah, and look, we realise expansion. Yeah, they discussed it was this 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 issue was discussed on the Outer Sanctum in one of their recent episodes as well, which I, I'd encourage you guys to check out. They had quite a good discussion. They now need nine grounds a week, and perhaps this is I I think this is part of the reason there's going to be difficulty with season elongation in the next couple of years. Some grounds simply aren't available, and that's. You know, grounds can't be available. You know, Box Hill City Oval, for example, is only available until October because then there's a cricket contract. You know, grounds have other commitments as well, and that's that's fine. Again, we saw this issue with the grand final, and you know, perhaps maybe the AFL should have had a bit more foresight and gone about booking venues, but that's that's their problem. But the AFL, the and again, this is again, this is why I think season elongation might take time, among other factors. If they just, they, they needs to be, they need to work on ground availability. And yes, there are challenges. Like you now need nine venues a week in a potentially awkward time slot. But the reality is, that's the, what the competition needs and deserves. So, use the next couple of years to find a way. I would be saying, and you own a stadium. There's a good start. As we said, you play two games a week there, Liam. Then you only need another seven grounds. So you're automatically getting rid of one of those things to worry about. And I'm sure when you look at the fixture, the AFL can look at it and go, what block, what blockbuster can we play? As you said, the Hawthorne-Essendon game, it was a round one blockbuster. Absolutely. Two new teams, two expansion teams 
first game ever in the AFLW, both with a hated history against each other. Imagine but playing that lot from down the highway as well. Yeah, but just think, imagine if each week they said, right, this is going to be the, the game of the round, as they used to do back in sort of the 80s where they'd have the one game on the TV and all games were played at a very similar time. Why not have that? Give us Easter Monday on Grand Final Eve. There's an idea for you. Lots of things you could definitely do. Uh, but in terms of the, the venue capacity, it also means the growth as well. So if you think about Hawthorne's membership this year, 5,577 members, which puts us fifth in the AFLW membership. Incredible. As I think, that, I think by the way, I think we'd actually rank higher than that because that's a bit of a flawed metric because I'm pretty sure three of the four clubs above us included a women's membership promotion for promotional reasons as part of their men's membership. Uh, I, I would have to double, I'd have to double verify that. And I probably should have done that before recording actually, but I've been insanely <laughs> busy the last couple of days, but I'm pretty sure that, that that metric is slightly flawed as a result of that. So it's a really interesting thing. And again, the demand is there. Build it and they will come. Give these women an opportunity to showcase their skills with proper venues. Again, suburban grounds, they're great, provided the amenities are adequate. Again, Henson Park, we're talking to you here, guys, both for players and for fans. But the demand is there. The support is there. And again, work, venue capacity is going to be a massive challenge over the next few years as this competition will be soaring to new heights. We can't wait to be there to watch Hawthorne playing in those games, which is going to be absolutely wonderful. Let's go back to, uh, I guess, a few other football matters. The jump in standard. So we know from watching the Hawthorne AFLW team this season, Liam, if you watched the very first game and you watched through to the very end, the standard improved for us over those 10, 10 rounds, mostly because we know it was a short, truncated preseason. The team was still trying to build connection, build combinations, which is wonderful. But imagine when that full-time professionalism comes in that Lou was speaking about. And as we said, 2026 is sort of in the tea leaves at the moment. That's, that's where we're hoping point. it's yeah, that's where we're hoping it's going to be. The improvement is going to blow us out of the blow us out of the park. Yeah. And again, since season one, we've seen again, Hawthorne were a low ranked team this year in the competition. Perhaps and I don't like saying this, perhaps our draw maybe even indicated we we our position was slightly higher than it should have been. We ignore that because, you know, the three wins were richly deserved. We played amazing football those nights. However, would have absolutely wiped the floor with any team in the first two or three seasons, the footy Hawthorne were playing this season. And even Sydney, like, they would have absolutely wiped the floor with those teams for the first couple of seasons. The standard has improved markedly season on season. And even within the season, especially for younger expansion teams like Hawthorne, this season was incredible how much it improved throughout the year. Now imagine a player like Lou Stevenson no longer has to fly back and forth from Sydney like a lunatic having working stupid hours as a firefighter. Imagine Caitlin Ashmore doesn't have to spend six hours teaching prep before going to football. Yeah. Imagine what you'll see then. Imagine when they can dedicate all their time to fitness, to strength and conditioning, to, to skill development, to improvement on that. You'll probably see one, a reduction in serious injuries. Two, an improvement in football. And by extension, more of your best players are able to promote your product the whole time because they're not tearing their ACL. 
Definitely. Definitely. And that's And I'm I'm not making light of ACL injuries, by the way. I'm just pointing out the the prevalence in the AFLW, which from what I've been told, and this is again not qualified to make determinations on this on my own volition, is as much as anything based on strength and conditioning deficiencies due to not having the time to devote to, to devote all their energy to it. Well, you think about it, Tilly said when she started off in season one, uh, when she was playing, that 12 hours, that was their time at the club, 12 hours for the week, and that included games. So 12 hours a week, Liam, that, that's what the players were contracted in terms of being at the club. That full-time professionalism will allow them, as you said, to not have to be working as fireys, to not have to be working retail, to not have to be working as school teachers, to not have to be working in any of those circumstances and being able to dedicate themselves to the thing that they love, which is what we see that the AFLW play, uh, sorry, the AFL players are allowed to do. And again, we're realists. We know this won't happen overnight. This will take time. Revenue has to grow, et cetera, et cetera. Hello, new television deal. Um, Like this will take time, but the future of the AFLW competition, the AFL wants to promote their product. They are full of people with much more commercial acumen than you or I as a law law graduate, or soon-to-be-law graduate and a primary school teacher. They're full of supposedly some of the smartest commercial minds in Australia. You want to grow your product? You know that your product thrives off off product quality. Pretty easy fix there. Well, if you think about that product quality, Liam, we saw one of those wonderful tweets about the grand final with spelling mistakes are plenty in it that was pointed out by a particular school teacher. Yeah, that that was. I don't want to mock the the social media team at the AFL. They're actually doing their best, but it's an epit. It was an it was an epitome of the way the AFL treats this competition as things stand. Absolutely. Now but again, we're not mocking the social media person for a typo. We're in the context of our previous discussions about the AFL. That's the only reason we even mentioned it at all. Just just to be clear. Now, Liam. It's fair to say that the Auskick lifers, so we're talking about the lifelong Auskickers, so those players who will start three, four, and work their way up, eventually getting in to playing in the AFLW system, is also going to help in terms of that standard. Yeah. So what we're starting to see only now, in the last year or two, is the pl- so girls have had to stop playing with and against boys at around under 12s, under 13s, generally speaking, from what I've gathered. And they've had very limited opportunity to play elsewhere, especially with there not having been an elite-level women's competition. They'd go off, they'd pursue other ventures, etc., etc. Yeah, we saw Catherine Brown went off and played association football at a really high level. Jess Duffin went off and played cricket and played pr- cricket pretty damn well. I mean, yeah, she, she played for Australia over 100 times. But what we're starting to see now are the players who, when they had to stop playing with and against boys, have been able to see a pathway to an elite-level women's competition. Yeah, the likes of Jasmine Fleming, Charlotte Baskerin, Lucy Wales, who, slightly different situation, she was playing high-level basketball and came to football a bit later, at about 12 or 13, from having spoken to her on the show. You can find that on wherever you podcast. But what happened? So they've already, and you can already see, you know, in other clubs, you watch Montana Ham, you watch Sarah LeKay, you watch Hannah Ewings. The level of these players, 
once they get up to the physical development of the active, the more experienced AFLW players, I'm not disrespecting those more experienced AFLW players, but they're not going to be able to hold a candle to them. And that, that's no denigration on them. They weren't provided the opportunity. But what we're seeing now starting to come through are the players who were provided that opportunity. And what we mean, though, by the Auskick lifers is essentially the next level up on that again. That's those who were starting when they started Auskick at three, four, five, six years old. They're the ones who could see an AFLW from when they were that young. Because how many young girls, I don't know, decided not to even start Auskick because they couldn't see people who looked like them and then missed those crucial years of development, etc. They're probably still eight years away. But when you start getting those players in, the ones who have seen this AFLW the whole way through and decided, you know what, I'm going to go for this from a really young age. Again, you're going to see another massive jump in the quality of this competition. This competition is so young. Talented female athletes have had so little time to see a pathway to this competition for this sport. It's only going up. Get on and enjoy the ride, I'd say. I mean, obviously, you're already on if you're listening to this podcast, but... Well, speaking of getting on and enjoying the ride, Liam, we think about Hawthorne in that short to medium term when we're talking about the new CBA and we're talking about the shortened season and waiting for that television deal to come in. And obviously, this will be something we'll probably talk about on another podcast, but time to get on board. Young team, very exciting talent that's there. We saw the growth in those 10 rounds that we had this season. So season seven of the AFLW Imagine what they're going to be like with another preseason. Those combinations, those connections. We know, obviously, there is one change to the list so far because Duff, yep. Duff has retired. I wouldn't be making more until we have some kind of idea on list sizes either. We, we talked about them earlier in the show. But that's, and again, you've noticed very few clubs are making any changes beyond what they would probably consider obvious ones, such as top-up players or players who are covering for inactive players like, you know, players who are out for the season with injury or pregnancy, et cetera, et cetera. Like you're not going to see many list changes beyond obvious ones like retirements or that kind of issue until clubs have an idea on how big their lists are going to be. But I don't, I mean, I know you and I are both really excited to see this list with another preseason and unfortunately probably another few before it starts to get up towards you're shaking your head, but I mean, you'd find positivity in being hit by a bus. So, I, I it will need a bit of time, but I think this group, this group could be something special in a few years' time. But they they need they need that time, you know. The reality is Charlotte Basker, and I think at the time we're recording is still seventeen. She is uh, happy birthday, Charlotte, for later on this week, I believe. Uh, I'll check that. We're recording this on Friday, so I'll double check that quickly while we talk about this. <laughs> so while we're we're talking about it. If we move to the next part, I guess it's the logistics. So we've already spoken about that that timing of the season. So. If we're going to get in a season that has 17 rounds and then a final uh, final series, it would need to be moved forward because at the current starting point, we know it's going to take us up into almost Christmas time. But when when did the final... Let's add seven weeks to when the AFLW season, home and away season finished. That's pretty much a week before Christmas, give or take. Then finals, like what are you going to have a Christmas break and say, right, finals in January? Yeah, it just it just doesn't make sense in terms of that. And from speaking to 
Tilly Lucas Rod and also Smithy on, on the podcast. It, they'd love to see the season starting when the men when the men's season start. I know from talking to Jazz Fleming at the uh, coaching clinic earlier this year when Evie and Penny had the luxury of being able to be with their idols uh, for an hour, which was wonderful for the for the two girls. I was speaking to Jazz and she was saying we'd be happy to start the season a bit earlier, so rather than waiting until the end of season buy round uh, to start the season, that they'd be happy to start earlier because they want to be able to play those games. They want to be able to have a proper season. Yeah. What, if, what about, you know, push put the men's buy rounds a bit later and say, okay, here we go. If we're starting when the men's have their mid-season buy with an extra seven weeks, that gets us to around the same time. Give or take a couple of weeks. People, you know, fell smart enough to make some adjustments here and there. But, and again, that, yeah, season timing, that was all, this was also discussed on the same Outer Sanctum episode that I listened to. And you probably have as well, because it's a good show. Um, But yeah, this season timing is going to be another massive issue. And again, that ties into grounds, that ties into CBA. Is that time, to, again, we keep coming back to the CBA on this show. I wonder why. Um, And again, Braden, a loyal listener, put this question to us as well. Because moving the season is going to, you might be solving one problem by creating another as well. Because, you know, running alongside the men's, you know, that unfortunately is going to create the potential for clashes. That's, you know, ground availability becomes a major issue because, you know, the suburban grounds often have games on those days. And how does that work? And then with change rooms, especially as, you know, the current season timing, you know, clash with the WBBL. And again, that created conflicts, that created scheduling conflicts. It's still beggars belief that they scheduled a game to clash with the Matildas. Like that to me was an entirely avoidable clash. But yeah, the season season timing is one of the most interesting things to watch for the AFLW. I personally I know Tamara Smith wants it running alongside the men's. If grounds are available and capacities there, that would be ideal. For logistical reasons, more than anything else, I'd, I'd love bringing this, this current block forward seven or eight weeks. I think that would be amazing. But the AFL have some work to do to work it out. But that's one of the big... That'll probably be the biggest logistical challenge for the AFL with this competition in the next four or five years as they expand it. How do they get the grounds so that they can elongate the season properly and give the competition the respect it deserves? Well, for Hawthorne supporters, Liam, they it was announced, I believe it was last week, possibly two weeks ago, fortnight ago, Dingley will hopefully uh, be built by the uh, midway through, I'll say the beginning of 2024, which means it would be available uh, for season nine of the AFLW season, which is wonderful. I mean, Dingley's been in uh, the plans for almost as long as Guns N' Roses' Chinese Democracy album, which was 23 years in the making. Let's hope so, but I'm not going to hold my breath on any grounds for the moment, especially because we just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And then I guess the coverage too, in terms of the way that the media works, is something that we know that if there was more coverage, obviously then you grow your audience. If there's more audience, it means there's more money and more resources coming in, improves the comp for fans and also for the players. But it's very circular in terms of its nature. Yeah, the... Broadcasters want to see the audience first. The audience needs the broadcast. 
like all they all kind of you know the money they need the money to make to get the to improve the product broadcaster wants to see the improved product they don't want to see the audience it all just it's just a loop and at some point you need to put the break in and say okay we're just gonna do this so the others can happen but again you know there are there is a lot of good coverage out there you know to the best of our to the best of my research we are the only podcast devoted exclusively to an aflw team and i did do a bit of digging others there are other podcasts i think geelong have one for example that talks about their men's and women's teams but you know i think we're the only one that's exclusively done for an aflw team you know from a hawthorne perspective the you know talking hawks the hawk talk podcast hawk insiders primarily focused on the men's team but they all give really really good aflw coverage when they're able to and so those guys and, and i mean you and i do most of the talking hawks work but there's also, you know, Matt, Daz, and the rest of the team there. They're all, they all give really good coverage. You know, Hawk Insiders, again, Nick and Tiz over at the Hawk Talk pod as well. They all do really, really good work for the A4W coverage as well. So, you know, there is, there's starting to be some. You know, if we look at more holistic coverage, you know, you have the Outer Sanctum crew, the trio at Credit to the Girls, uh, Marnie Vanal and Lauren Wood. They're all doing absolutely outstanding jobs. You just need more of it. I would like to say, Liam, especially from a Hawthorne perspective, we've been incredibly lucky with the club itself. So yes, the Hawthorne absolutely. AFLW club has been absolutely phenomenal uh, in terms of allowing coverage of the players because, as we said, the players are the game. The players are the ones who help to grow the club. They'll help to grow the game. They'll help to grow the, the membership. They'll grow the audience. And we've been incredibly lucky. We've been... Uh, in contact with Julia. Yeah, uh, we, from... we, again, we said it last time, but thank you again, Julia, for all your work in comms. Yeah, look, it, doing an amazing job. And then I guess to tie in, we've now got the, the VFLW season that's about to take place. And we've been lucky enough with Ed Sill, friend of the show, who's uh, the Box Hill president, who has said that, you know, he would love to help to continue uh, seeing the players from the VFLW getting that exposure in terms of media because they're doing a phenomenal job and they deserve to get the coverage that they deserve. Yeah, and that's, we're just trying to do, admittedly with a lot of bias, um, we're just trying to do a little bit. Like, are we biased? Yes. Do we care? No. But that's not biased. You're not biased if you're talking about the best team in the competition, Liam. Oh, Best club in the competition. There we go. We can agree upon that one together. Yeah, I mean, is our view on that not inherently biased? But yeah, we don't care. Well, if you think about the culture that the club has set up, I'm, not, season, I'm not disputing it. I didn't, say I, I didn't say I was disputing it. I was just acknowledging that we are biased. I, I, I didn't say I was disputing your claim. I think about the holistic nature of the club. We know how welcoming, how inclusive it is. We saw some moments this season, obviously the, the first game when we won against the Sydney Swans where the turmoil that the club was going through that week and as a group, a playing collective, not only did they bring the club back together, uh, the the moment where they wore the Indigenous jumper to play in that game was something that really stood out. Think about the end of season awards night. We know Beck Goddard was the inaugural Adelaide coach won the premiership in season one uh, of the AFLW and her touching tribute um, to the, the AFLW player from Adelaide who unfortunately passed away. Like you, you look at Heather moments, Anderson. it's correct. You look at moments like that, Liam, and you just think what a wonderful club 
that we are building in terms of, of the women's program at Hawthorne. And that's in one season. So you can only imagine what will happen in season two and season three and season four of the Hawthorne AFLW team. So we might be a bit biased in terms of our coverage, but if you're thinking of it from a club perspective, just the things that they do, you can see the buy-in from the players, which is wonderful. Having spoken to the players, which we have, you can see the love for the club that they have in their first season. And that, that's something that money can't buy. Absolutely. And again, a bit more media coverage and you know, this competition's only only going up. So again, get on board, enjoy the ride. Because ever since Hawthorne came in, we certainly are. I mean, obviously you're listening to this show, you know exactly what that way through that, but <laughs> that's it. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode looking at the AFLW future. Now, in terms of our socials, jump on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, have a look for HFC Saw. That's the Soaring to New Heights uh, social media pages. In terms of Talking Hawks, which Liam and I do some writing for, uh, it's the draft content on the men's competition that just came out. So the boys did a live YouTube video uh, for that. So jump on and have a look. Loads of other I watched stuff. half of that at the airport, by the way. That was really good. And then the airport Wi-Fi cut out and I had to get on a flight. So. Well, there you go, Liam. We know what you'll be doing after this, watching the end of that. I have subsequently watched it. Oh, fantastic. Uh, there's loads of other great stuff to check out in terms of that. We'll also have more episodes of Soaring to New Heights coming out soon. I think uh, we've got an ideas document that's about three pages long. So. We do. And we also, we've also been in touch with a particular list manager who would like to come on the, on the podcast, Liam. So we're not going to give too much away here, but would be wonderful to have that insight looking at the connection between the Hawthorne AFLW team and I'm sure you can connect the dots with who they might be working for. Yep, we just have a bit more logistics to work out, and then we'll hopefully get off that off, off its on its feet soon. We just have to work out some logistics. Which would be absolutely wonderful. But thank you very much for joining us on this episode of Soaring to New Heights. And until next time, go the Hawks. <laughs>